Boom! Welcome to episode 19, and episodes 19 and 20 is going to be about infertility. And we are going that route because we just talked about child development. And we talked about previously about um, blood sugar, when to get more into diabetes later, what autoimmunity is, what leaky gut is, how to save your brain. But we have to reproduce at some point and we have to make babies. So if you're a grandmother or grandfather, um, don't skip this because this is stuff to tell your um, children and your grandchildren. If uh, you're on the verge of having children or you listen to uh, child development, this is just going to tie in hand to hand. If you have friends who are wanting to have babies or friends who are having trouble um, making babies, have them listen to this. This is some good information to help them uh, move along or make a better decision on what's going on with infertility. So just some highlights. Infertility affects 10 to 15% of all couples. So this makes it the most, most common disease, one of the most common diseases in the United States for people between the ages of 20 and 45. That's a pretty big number. And so the definition of infertility is you can't conceive for at least 12 months. It doesn't mean you did one try and it, it, it didn't happen. No, this means the couple's not able to become pregnant at least for one year trying. However, for women 35 and older, the inability to conceive after six months is usually considered infertile. So just some guidelines to go along. 85% of couples with normal fertility will conceive within one year trying. So um, if, if you have it and you're like 11 months and three weeks, um, the odds are not in your favor, but you still have another month. So if a couple doesn't conceive in the first year, their chance of conceiving gets lower each month. And this happens more quickly as women get older. For a healthy woman between her and her 20s up to 34, 35, the chance of conceiving each month is 25 to 30%. So if at first you don't succeed, uh, your percentages are in your favor. By the time a woman is 40 years old, the chances of conceiving is 40%. There is a real thing uh, called the biological clock. The clock is ticking. And um, when you get to 35, we start to have some real concerns on what's happened. So about infertility, there are some reasons that it can happen. So I'm going to go through those because sometimes it's just, oh, you're too old to have it. Well, maybe, maybe not. Oh, you um, you, you were too much of an athlete when you were younger or you, you took too much birth control. Maybe. Uh, but the percentage of those are low unless you're actually in the age group. So... Um, Facts about infertility. The ability to have a child affects about 11% of the reproductive population. In a survey of married women, the CDC found that 6% of women are indeed infertile. And 25% of infertile couples have more than one factor. So, um, guys, listen up. It's a three-factor problem. A lot of women that come into our office are ashamed, they're sad, they're, um, they're torturing themselves. Because they feel that it's their fault. They can't conceive because it's their fault. Well, it's multifactorial as we just went through. There's more than one factor that goes in. Um, more than not, it's the guy. So if you're smoking or drinking or getting around things that create um, free radicals, such as maybe you're staining or painting or uh, drinking or you're on fumes and uh, pollution and environmental um, toxins, then it, it's probably you. Um, but it could be a little bit of 
dad and it could be a little bit of mom and now you have a couple that can't conceive because they just don't have enough of each side so in approximately 40 percent of infertile couples the male partner is either the sole cause or the main contributing cause of infertility 40 percent um so if we flipped over um it's not the same in women so there are, there are some other reasons for women that you have you can't just put um, men in the, con- in the conversation there. So irregular or abnormal ovulation, so if you don't have your period, that's going to count for about 25% of all um, female infertile problems, and there's ways to test for it. And about 12% of all inf- infertility cases are a result of the woman weighing too little or too much. So uh, obesity and being overly thin does is, 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 plays a big part. Now... It is possible for women with body weight disorders to reverse their infertility just by attaining and maintaining a healthy weight. And women women and men who smoke also have decreased fertility, and up to 13% of female infertility is caused by cigarette smoking. So if that's one of the things you're doing, uh, especially, let's say you're, I don't know who you are, we're just um, giving some information out there for you to make the best decision you can with your health. So if you're overweight and smoking and you're having trouble conceiving, um, that's 25% of the problem. And uh, if your male's partner is doing it, oh, well, then um, you can see how this goes in the wrong direction very quickly. So in rough terms, about a third, a little bit over that, of infertility can be contributed to male factors. And when we put all the other options together with women, about a third are for women, and then one, the remaining one-third is both. So infertility is a combination of problems with both partners, or in 20% of cases, unexplained. They don't know. So these are the highlights I I at least wanted to start with because, again, so many um, women come into their practice and and they're just like, I need help, I can't get pregnant, I've had two miscarriages, I don't know what to do, and where should you go? Uh, You could do IVF, you could do hormone therapy, you could do Reiki, you could change your diet, you could take supplements, you could meditate, you could do acupuncture, there are a lot of options. And, and here are some mechanisms that cause infertility. Well, again, we talked about being too, weight, too overweight or too underweight. That's called body mass index. You could have extreme psychological stress and infertility, lifestyle factors and in infertility, environmental causes of infertility, medical conditions that increase oxidative stress, such as an underlying autoimmunity. You could have um, female pelvic anatomy factors, uh, ovulation and menstrual cycle, dysglycemia, meaning your blood sugar is too high or too low, female reproductive cells, tissues, and fluid factors like a tumor or a fibroid cyst. You can have medications that infect infertility. You can have dietary causes of infertility. And for men, um, you can have not only the blood sugar, psychological stress, and life and environmental, but you also have andropause in men. They may not make enough to testosterone because men are getting overestrogenized. They have soy in so many products. Never did we have the joke about wearing the man's ear or the bro, which is from Seinfeld, which is a man bra. Uh, But there are kids that need it now. Why? Because they have such high insulin surges. And then men who get older, and um, they're not usually in the conception phase, but I call them toads. They don't want to do anything. They sit there and they have their hands crossed. Do you want to go eat something to eat? I don't care. Do you want to go do something? I don't care. They don't have a, a desire. They certainly don't have any sex desire. And every time that they are given a testosterone option, such as a um, testocreme that has testosterone, they have so much aromatase in them that they actually convert their testosterone to estrogen and become more, um, more increased in estrogen. So 
if you have one of these toads, and I'm, I'm being nice because that's really what they look like. Have you ever seen a toad just sit there and, and just kind of wait for a fly to come by or something to come by? It just doesn't really move. Um, and it looks kind of bored and uh, ignoring the world. I think of a toad, if you ever watch The Office, um, to me, Stanley was a toad because of how slow he talked and he moved and he was irritated at everything. But when toads become an andropause, they start to cry often um, because they're having so much of an estrogen surge. It's as if they're going through pu- uh, prepubescent um, menarche and they're having their first period. They really are. That's that's what happens. So that's what ma- male andropause is. Uh, but they also could have medications that decrease their sperm um, production. They could have male sperm health factors. They could have male anatomical features um, that don't work for them or an underlying autoimmunity. So the proper way to evaluate is to have both individuals come in and you get a history. What is your body mass index? Do you smoke? Do you drink alcohol? What's your age? What's your occupation? What's your stress? What's your sexual history? Uh, is there any family uh, history of birth defects, um, a premature ovarian failure? Uh, is there any drug history? Do you use a lot of NSAIDs, non anti-inflammatory drugs? Do you have any um, immunosuppressants? Uh, is there any medical history um, or surgery in the pelvic region or chemotherapy? Or issues with getting your period? And then generally they want to see, do you have any hemoglobin to make sure you're not anemic? What's your blood sugar? Um, do you have any uh, cholesterol? Because cholesterol is what's used to make hormones. And then we, most of the time they make sure you don't have HIV or hepatitis B or, or hepatitis C. And then just take a look at your thyroid, uh, your FSH and LH, uh, serum prolactin, because for women it allows you to release eggs. For men it allows you to release sperm. Um, and then you might even go a little bit further and have an ovarian reserve test, um, a sperm test, and then you can get into even more testing where you get into um, what's called cervical, uterian, and tubal factors where they're looking to see if there's any blockages um, or tumors or like PCOS could be any of these or cervicitis or endometriosis um, where you might even get ultrasound, uh, transvaginal scanning, um, hysteroscopy, MRI, laparoscopy. You can get to pretty big things. Now, men, you're not you're not out of it. You still get the history, you get the medical history, is there any blood blood pressure issues? If you have high blood pressure, um, that's a big deal. If you have any diabetes, that's a big deal. Surgery in the pelvic region, um, you know, if you're trying to have um, babies in your past histories that you had a vasectomy and that's happened in our office. I bring this up um, <laughs> because nobody asked them. And that's that's where we uh, just I, anyway. I have my soapbox, and we, I used to have this little foam finger. That was it's it's not hard to be number one because there were so many doctors that cut so many corners or didn't think to ask because it seemed so freaking obvious. Um, now that that person possibly hasn't had a vasectomy, gotta ask, gotta ask. So if you ever enter my office and you ever decide to become a patient of ours, and I ask a weird question, there's a reason for it. Um, it's not just me being smart or cute or whatever. Uh, there's there's a lot of squirrels that go on my brain, and they bring information to the front uh, very quickly, and so it has to come out. So also in men, the history of infections, uh, there's STDs that can that can affect these uh, urinary tract infection. Mumps can get to that. Tuberculosis, cystic fibrosis, thyroid issues. How about family history the same? Drug history the same? Sexual history the same? But uh, we have to ask them fun questions that they just love to hear. Do you have any 
ever. Uh, e- premature ejaculation, ejaculation failure, erectile dysfunction. Um, lie, 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 and then they'll come back and tell it to me later. But um, we're getting pretty good at checking in. Plus, we have a, a test in our office. We can check for vascular. And if I get a blood supply chain difference when I'm checking temperature from top to bottom, um, and then I start doing some other stuff, I'll, I'll bring it to their attention that, that it's a high probability that if you don't have it now, you're going to have it, and you're going to have it a lot. So then the, the truth typically comes out, and I try to be nice about it. So there has to be a physical examination to make sure that everything is in, in check. And then, of course, um, blood test, primary investigation with hormones, genetic testing, and semen analysis because you have to see do you have volume do you have density does it move because sometimes there's sperm in there and it's fine the numbers are great but they don't move we're not, not going to go anywhere um and then what's called viscosity because it also has to be able to survive in, a, in an environment that's supposed to kill it um and then there is actually uh, what's called a a semen antibody where women can actually carry an antibody so every time it gets in there it kills everything it, it's an immune system going to it and sometimes men have a, a Variceal, um, and it's just not getting the blood supply down there. So if you don't get the blood supply down there, just like you're sitting in a hot bath or just like you're sitting on ice all the time, you're not going to make um, proper spermatozoa, and so therefore you're not going to make reasonable and functional sperm. So these are all options, and you can always do a testicular biopsy and ultrasound. Um, most people, when they say testicular biopsy, um, men start to get very, very queasy. There, there's an easy way to take a look at it, uh, and then you can also do an ultrasound. So... Um, women get a lot more because in this case you're number one Uh, we don't (laughs) men are just there but there there are some other things so um if you've never heard of like terms or uh, pharmaceuticals like clomid or uh gadatotropins or pulsatol gadatotropin releasing hormone or um these are all medications to help with ovulation induction in men sometimes they have to have testosterone replacement or gonadotropins to help uh, that happen or um, intrauterine insemination where it just goes in a different way and they, what they do is they take the, the the strongest sperm that they possibly can have and, and get it in there it's a lot cheaper than the next one which is in vertical feeder um, in vitro fertilization so i'm sure you've heard of ivf which is uh, ovarian hyperstimulation we give you some hormones to get things rolling uh, then transvaginally, we get the, um, it's called, a, it's not really uvarectomy, it's uvocyte retrieval, you're getting your eggs. Then the eggs and the sperm get put together, they take a little itty bitty needle and uh, open it up, put the sperm inside the egg to see if it'll fertilize, and then we grow it for two to six days. And if it's viable and it hasn't fallen apart, they will transfer that back into the uterus, it's called embryo transfer, um, transferation, transferation, but it's just transfer. And then hopefully you get pregnant and stay there. So that's the idea for those. Um, but I don't always work like that. So what we have to do in the office is number one, we have to get normalization of menstrual cycles. Have to. And then we have to optimize female follicles, male sperm, or reproductive anatomy. Which means got to make sure that you have prolactin so that you're releasing and then we have to optimize and maintaining of a pregnancy. So we have to make sure your nutrition and stress and everything is, is reasonable. And we have to make sure that we optimize fetal health and development. So when it gets there, it's not being starved out or stressed out and we're not losing a baby. 
And then we have to do all the things we can do to reduce reduce the risk for pregnancy complications and reduce the risk for childhood development and, and adult disorders, which we talked about in our uh, childhood development disorders and autism, and reduce the risk for maternal postpartum disorders because if you aren't taking care of yourself and your nutrients aren't up and your microbiome's not perfect, um, then yeah, you're going to have things like thyroid storms. You're going to have a, an opportunity to have leaky gut. You're going to have an opportunity to have autoimmunity if you already didn't. Um, and then, you know, taking care of a new baby, I don't care what anybody says, even the easiest babies are stressful uh, because you don't get a break. <laughs> There's Even when they're in a nap, even if you heard another baby cry, you hear it. Uh, was that my baby? Um, oh, it was just a TV. Or, oh, it was just something that maybe it, it, it never ends. So, uh, parents have all been there uh and, and there's a time that we just go you know what no more babies i'm done peace out uh and there's a time when you come up a grandparent oh look they're crying yours passing along so <laughs> there's but when they're yours you're in the moment so we want to reduce the risk for maternal postpartum issues and we, uh, we want to optimize maternal health and recovery after pregnancy so uh, you can be the best parent that you possibly can so there are quite a few steps in clinical management that we just went through um, and, and I'm not going to go into the super big detail, but let's talk about pregnancy first. First, you have to have wh- why we focus on pregnancy uh, from an ovulation standpoint. And for those women that have PCOS, this is vital. We have to get your blood sugar in control uh, because it will affect what's going on in your ovulation. So ovulation is first. It's not fertilization. It's ovulation. you got to have an egg, and then you can fertilize it. And then once it's fertilized, where it has to be fertilized, it can't be anywhere else, then there's tubal transport. It has to go down the tubes. We don't want to have um, an impregnation where it shouldn't be. And then there's implantation. So there's four little steps that it goes through. Now, there are causes of infertility, and 40% of them are anatomical. So we'll have to throw that up there. So anatomical can be from conditions that create inflammation so there's ovulatory disorders it's anatomical what if you're born with only one ovary that's an anatomical issue or one that is so scarred or whatever from cysts that it it can no longer put that out there's also endometriosis there's pelvic adhesions there's tubal blockage and there's hypoprolactinemia Um, so these are chemical uh, and and health issues that slow these down what if somebody has an autoimmunity? Then that could be a big deal too. So hypothyroid that uh, occurs as pregnancy develops, um, particularly because you don't want to eat the baby or metabolize the baby, um, and it, it's it's there. We know it's there. It's 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 just part of pregnancy. But that's why we don't want to do a whole lot of thyroid testing during pregnancy. And we don't want to do a whole lot of thyroid testing right after pregnancy. We want to wait a few months and then we're going to come in and take a look at it. But then, and there's a, an, an if in the mid, if and a button and then, bit very important, that doesn't mean you're hypothyroid. There's thyroid storms. There is, oh, your milk's coming in. You have to metabolize differently. There are all kinds of reasons. You can't really even be called... Um, hyper hypothyroidism without antibody tests and a, um, uh, an ultrasound until a year has passed from your baby. Um, but you will have periods of hypo and hyperthyroidism uh, during your pregnancy and after your pregnancy. It's just part of what goes on, but to diagnose you off of that. So if you've been sitting there and you don't know what's going on, um, maybe you get retested. 
I'm just throwing that out there. So these are some things that can um, um, be put on there as far as what is infertility. Anatomical things other than what we just took up, we just we were talking about endometriosis or or what, but you could have a pelvic or abdominal surgery. What if you had your um, appendix taken out? Or pelvic inflections, there's pelvic inflammatory disease or abdominal trauma. Uh, maybe you have a hernia, maybe you got hit real hard, a, a, maybe a donkey kicked you. Know? Um, and you can have adhesions. So the floating tubes, ovaries, uterus, cervix are all, all they, they possibly have adhesions that slow them down. Or you could have malignancies, things that are a little bit more pathological and uh, still scary. Ovarian, endometrial, uterine, vaginal, metastatic cancer from gastrointestinal or GI tract can all be um, in there and they can create obstructive infertility. Or you could have a benign gross, such as uterine fibroids or cysts, or ovarian cysts or ovarian benign tumors that, while not malignant, they are obstructing the canal. So again, doctors can use uh, gynecological ultrasonography, uh, MRI, uh, hysteroscopy, and laparoscopy to go take it. There's also hyster. You're gonna have. I'm gonna beat the salpingogram. Histosalpingogram, which is just they put a dye up in you, and then you use a radiological feature to to see has what's the shape in the cavity, kind of lots of what's going on. They'll use this also when they're talking about not necessarily tubes tied. It's a little bit different for making sure that you are infertile after they've done, done a procedure. Like I'm, I'm done having kids, but they can come back in here and make sure that nothing gets through there when they put water up in there. So there are uh, for sure opportunities for you, and I've sat in on on. Quite a few of these. I, I got to be lucky in in my past and medical, where we got to sit in on surgeries and bone marrow, and um, come at the very end of uh, surgeries and and get a slide for uh, pathology, and and it was all fun, but it was it was more for learning for me. So those are just really obstructions or adhesions or things that. Um, don't allow things to happen, but more importantly, elevated prolactin. So if you have an elevated prolactin, which is called prolactinemia, um, so if you ever get your lab tests and you see that on there or from another doctor, uh, it shuts down your gonadotropins, which means that what's called luteinizing hormone and follicle stimulating hormone are down, and that means no ovulation. Uh, that's a big deal. So uh, LH and FSH tell you to drop an egg and then to release an egg. Um, or release everything. So if, if they're not happening, you're, you're just not even going through your cycle. So that, that can be a problem. Um, when we have food that is that creates insulin surges, by the way, gluten creates an insulin surge. So um, let's say you had gluten-free bread because you're like, oh, I want to be gluten-free. And you had um, a veggie burger because, you know, um, meat's bad and you should, should not eat it. And I'm not being facetious or anything like that but this is what comes into my office and this is what we see and this is what how people think i, I want to be healthy which is good so we can come in for making an effort I want, i'm going to pay a whole lot of more money for the bread that's not beneficial to me um but they're, they're making an effort and then we have to just redirect them or i'm going to have a veggie burger because you know um sometimes most of the burgers that are, are out there aren't even beef in the united states and they're corn fed and grain fed and i want to stay away from all that uh, great, but they got a veggie burger, so they put a whole bunch of other stuff in it with MSG and sugar and and in there anyway. So these create an insulin surge because it's completely processed. A veggie burger is a processed piece of 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 I don't know what. 
but it's processed. And when it's processed, you have insulin surges. So it's not making any, 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 any health waves. Now, if you're a woman and you have a thyroid issue or dysglycemia, high or low blood sugar, and most importantly, if you have PCOS, you're going to have an insulin surge. Well, PCOS, by definition, you have increased testosterone and DHEA, and you have insulin surges, and then you get functional hypoglycemia, and then you can't, um, your, your eggs are just like, what is happening? And so um, then you get cysts. That's, that's the side effect that goes with it, and then you don't release the egg. In men, when you have these insulin surges, you get low testosterone, and then you get androgens, which means you get more estrogen, which means you have more a, a lower testosterone and then leptin kicks in and guess when you have leptin you get overweight and so the male who is obese has two things that are going on they have less dna and then they also have fragmented dna um, and so when you have fragmented dna you can still fertilize the egg but you only gave pieces of your dna and so nothing is viable so that's a miscarriage that's on you dude um, you can also have too low body fat the BMI. So all these hormones that I just spoke of, leptin, um, testosterone, insulin, DHEA, um, FSHLH, gonadotropins, prolactin, every single one of those requires fat. Every single one of those requires protein digestion. So if somebody's avoiding fat, I'm going to be fat-free, uh, that's a big deal. So we don't, we don't want to do that. Um, if somebody has cold hands and feet, or low brain endurance, meaning I ask them like four or five questions and then they get tired or they yawn when they read, uh, you're not getting blood supply places and that's not going to help either. So here's another kicker, stress, stress induced infertility. So let me read you something from the uh, Reproductive Health Research Science and Department of Psychology and Journal of Family and Reproductive Health from December of 2011. Infertility stress has a negative and significant relation with emotional-oriented coping mechanisms or methods, perceived social support, and being extrovert. It has a positive significant relation with emotion-oriented coping method and obsessive-compulsive disorder. The result of the stepwise regression showed that emotion-oriented coping method, OCD, and being extrovert are suitable predictors of infertility stress. Well... I can't change who you are, but I just want to make it clear that there are outside things, just just such as stress or have, having somebody who's OCD, in addition to endocrine disruptors such as BPA, such as environmental chemicals, such as oxidative stress and inflammation, such as we don't want to eat out of plastics, we don't want to put plastics in our bodies, we don't even want to eat after over paper plates. The question is, do I have paper plates in my house? And the answer is yes. The, the question is, do you eat on them? And the answer is no. No. And I think a week ago, I always eat off of porcelain. One of my children, and really the paper plates for the dog, <laughs> one of my children, an adult child, took a paper plate, took something off of it, and decided to heat it in a microwave. I might have lost my cool. As I explained, the endocrine disruptors the biological chemicals, what they just put into their body, what they put into the air of our home. Um, I was not pleased. Uh, so yes, paper plates can be uh, chemical disruptors. And if you can't fall, uh, if you can't handle stress or you fall apart with exercise or you smoke, you're going to have less egg release. You're going to have less sperm. It's just going to be the way that you're going to go through things. So I just want to make that clear that there are 
multifactorial. Now, lifestyle issues that lead to obesity, which is one of the big ones that are out there, you can just be sedentary or you consume a lot of fried foods or you consume too much sugar that I see that all the time, or which is also a name for carbohydrate and you don't have any fiber, which is going to be your green leafy vegetables. Um, and then you have a caloric intake that over exceeds your caloric in demand. And now you have a metabolic imbalance. And when you have all these insulin surges and your blood sugar is up, you're not going to sleep. So that's going to add to it. So lack of sleep is another reason for obesity or to be able to stress coping skills. And so then when you have a metabolic issue, you get thyroid issues, insulin issues, hormone issues, diabetes. So those all, um, add to it. So that's really where I start in our office because I have to get those off your plate. Now, I can't change your stress, but I can help your physiological stress. But at the same time, we're going to still talk about it. And if it is a contributing factor, my job is to find somebody who can help you that has a professional counseling license um, because I'm not. It doesn't mean I can't listen and go, well, can you try this or try that? Because you may not need a counselor and just like, you maybe you didn't think of it that way. Um, but that's why you pay me. All right. Moving on. So we do see, in addition to like PCOS and gut issues and obesity, uh, other things like fibroids and endometrial issues or the pituitary that does affect infertility. So let me explain how fibroids start. And most of the time, I mean, it could be any of these, your estrogen and progesterone is what stimulates the growth of a fibroid, and that's fine. But then you have an endocrine disruptor that comes along, and that could be, again, eating off a of paper plate um, or eating out of uh, pans that have nonstick that's, um, that are endocrine disruptors or you have a whole bunch of carpet in your home. Um, but often this comes along with insulin. What you're eating is is the limiting factor because you could still have somebody who has endocrine disruptors and the insulin's fine and they're they don't make them so when that happens both estrogen progesterone and insulin stimulate the growth of fibroids which increases progesterone receptors which increases inflammatory cytokines which then allows any genetic susceptibility for these individuals to um, then show up so for for those who are having fibroid issues red meat and processed foods are not your friend if you want more eat them but to help reduce and prevent future fibroid growth, your microbiome mashup, your um, green leaf and vegetables, and what, what, that's what we have a GI immune for. It has uh, the short-chain fatty acids, and the bigger thing is you've got to get your short, um, EFAs, and that's why we have EFA on our website for that. Um, now, if, you have a, uh, if you're over 50, hopefully you're not uh, go- listening to this for you, um, but... Those are risk factors because you can have over 50 not wanting to get pregnant, but uterine fibroids. It's a two to three time increased risk for African descents compared to whites, Asian, and Hispanics. And if you're overweight, insulin-resistant, diabetic, or had a history of PCOS or vitamin D deficient, that can be a wonderful way to get it. There are a multitude of genes, but there's also lifestyle factors that turn on genes, such as sedentary lifestyle, lack of exercise, being around those endocrine disruptors, smoking, alcohol intake, caffeine, and stress. And this could be from your childhood, this could be physical, this could be sexual, this could be emotional, this could be mental, this could be work. Stress is a a big deal. So I just want to give those out there so that you have an idea of some of the risk factors that come along. So if you have one of those conditions, um, that's that's a starting point. So when I, I'm going to go back to that EFA for just a minute, the essential fatty acids. It is a huge deal. If somebody's taking an, uh, an omega-3 fatty acid, 
there are levels of endometriosis, like level one, two, and three. They 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 give them, but when somebody's taking enough omega three fatty acids, they generally stay like at level one. They don't go to level two. They don't go to level three. So that's that's a big deal. Plus, they got to take the other foods out, and then they might take other anti-inflammatories such as N-acetylcysteine or NAC or vitamin D and resveratrol. Um, and then we have um, all of those on our website uh, under our, our choosenewleaf.com in our store because it's when we started looking and developing our products, we were looking at what's the most common first condition. And a rarish product, really, because vitamin D could be in, like, everything. <laughs> I couldn't find a reason that you didn't use vitamin D. There's a reason not to use NAC. There's a reason not to use vitamin C. Um, but I couldn't find a reason is vitamin D. Okay, we start there. Okay, now what's the next thing? What's the next thing? So, you know, 20 years later, here we have 50 products because we do that. Now, when we buy a product, we might buy from four or five different places. We go have them tested. Then we send them out, um, and then if I like something, we start using them clinically because you can't know. And then I run thousands upon thousands of dollars of blood tests and evaluating that product to see if it's working or not. We try to get the best that we can, but sometimes it, it even if it has everything on paper and the, what we call the analytes come back and everything looks good, for whatever reason, it just doesn't work. Um, and, and we did have that with one of our vitamin D's. I was so so discouraged for it because it came in a better way and a better delivery system. And um, you know, they're 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 pretests of how it got through the gut. So somebody would have to take it and then get to go into the stool and and they could do things. And, but great, it's going through the body, but it wasn't being absorbed to the level that allowed our patient population to have a. Um, therapeutic dosage so that we can get what we wanted to get out of it so oh well um that's how we go through those those things so that's why we have them on the website it's it, but it won't just be for infertility they're used a lot of those are used for a multitude of issues so if you haven't heard their diet and lifestyle is, is a big deal so i'm just gonna hit it one more time obesity exercise smoking alcohol caffeine illicit drugs pesticides organic fee, foods uh, endocrine disruptors psychological stress affect both male and female now female get pcos polycystic ovary syndrome uterine fibroids endometriosis and men have sperm health issues so that's really the starting point to all of this so let's take a look at what we can do in the office or you can go to our website, or you can do it at home. So there are what's called nutraceutical. It's nutrition that's not pharmacy. It's pharmacopoeia, pharmacy, pharmacy for you at your disposal that you don't have to have a prescription for. So there are nutraceuticals for fundamental mechanisms of fertility, and that's where the essential fatty acids come in. Or when we use something like alpha-lipoic acid um, or blood sugar handling to get blood sugar stability. Or detoxification, so we use what's called hepatic biotransformation. So there's liver support, there's N-acetylcysteine, there's glutathione. Uh, they all do that in a microbiome modulation. So we have to get short-chain fatty acids and the immune GI. Sometimes you have an infection, and that's immune GI balance. Um, or you have to have one of the four probiotics, but we don't usually start there. But sometimes you have to have that for microbiome because once you start changing your microbiome, I want to give a little push and have things set up. If you are to be on a probiotic, you shouldn't be on it. Um, Research-wise, they don't make a huge difference.
but they can make enough of a difference to, uh, especially when you're struggling to get things going. And if you feel nothing at all, it's probably the wrong one. That this just feeling is now. Nutraceutical approaches for infertility conditions can be, um, you know, making sure that the there's enough blood supply for the sperm or the uh, egg to drop. And making sure there's no inflammation or like with polycystic ovary syndrome, what's the insulin doing? What's the testosterone doing? And to slow those down. Or if there's any factors that can slow down, like for instance, resveratrol and EFA did for uterine fibroids or endometriosis. And then there's specialized nutrients. So the pituitary, which tells everything to work, has to be told to work. Or maybe it's not working. Maybe you have too much estrogen, too little estrogen. Or maybe the adrenals are in there. But in, in, in the functional medicine world, adrenals are everything. No, they're not. <laughs> they're they're one one piece of the cog, and usually it's the last piece because everything else has failed, and they they're they're just done. They're just done messing with. But if you're just taking uh, adrenal support for your infertility, um, I'll put it in the nice um, way. Your your doctor missed a whole lot of classes, a lot, um, and and you need a lot of help if you really have adrenal insufficiency and. And going to somebody and spending money to get pregnant when you have adrenal insufficiency, you're not going to – there's no feedback to your your um, pituitary. There's no feedback in your thyroid because there's adrenal insufficiency. And we're talking adrenal exhaustion, by the way. There's like, uh, I think I'm tired, and then, the, yeah, I'm tired. And then there's adrenal fatigue. You are tired, and you're you're treading water. And then there's adrenal exhaustion where the lights are off, and you're you're under candlelight. <laughs> you're on fumes. There's nothing left. There's You're not going to make a baby. It's just you, you have no mechanisms and the energy to get going. So for these people, we try to give them a non-stimulant. Um, a lot of people that get to that point, giving you stimulation or taking a five-hour energy or whatever to get you some energy for five minutes or reaching for a caffeine, you're just burning them out. The adrenals never have a chance to heal. So we give non-stimulant B vitamins to get things up so your body can make energy so they have the opportunity to heal. It's a little bit different approach. But I'm hoping that this makes some sense and what I'm saying. So I'm going to pause here because this is part one of two and we're getting past time. So uh, if you, I, I know you have a lot of podcasts that you can listen to and I appreciate you listening to this one. And I hope that I've delivered some information that if somebody's struggling, uh, whether it's you or a friend or a loved one um, with infertility, that they can get some information, they get some answers, they get some testing, they can get in the right way, and they can make the best decision for them. Because, again, if we can do a good job of infertility, uh, we can also do a good job with what's considered childhood development disorders. And when you do have a child, you have the best opportunity to have a healthy and happy child and a child that, that isn't bombarded with other things. And life has enough stress. Life has enough, you know, there's a lot of enough monsters out there. But if you can have this child to be in the right position and more of them. We make more and more of healthy, happy children. We can make the world a better place. Um, if you need to learn more about our office, go to our website at choosenewleaf.com. Some of the products that are on there are under the shop magne- uh, the shop button, and you can go there and uh, get your products there. Thank you for listening. Great health does not have to be a mission impossible. I'm Dr. Trites. Be well. <music>